Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Merry Christmas to everyone. You're ready for it, I assume. Only the women went, yeah. None of the guys, just guys just had this kind of look like, what? It's Christmas? <laughs> Good to see everyone. My name's Tim. I'm uh, the senior pastor here. And how many of you guys have heard of the song, We Three Kings? Can anybody sing it? We Three Kings. Yeah, where did that come from? That's not in the Bible. What is that? I mean, three, but where did three come from? Actually, we don't know if they're the kings or if there were three of them. Have you heard of the three wise men? Well, I think they were wise, but we don't know that there were three of them. That's kind of an assumption. We've been in a series called Spotlight where we've looked at Mary, a little bit of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, we looked at the shepherds last week. And this week, we're going to look at those, that group of guys that have been called the three kings, have been called the wise men, uh, called, the Bible calls them the magi, M-A-G-I. And uh, we don't know how many there were, actually. Uh, they have kind of a reputation. People have even given them names down through the centuries and, and just developed all kinds of stories about them. But we want to go back to the story in the scripture and take a look at what they bring to the whole narrative of Christ coming to earth. That's been uh, my journey, my adventure through this series is when you see certain people, certain types of people in a biblical story, the first question I ask is why did God let them be in there? I mean, why would they be in there? I mean, why? What, what do they bring to the story? If indeed this is a very special, it's not just a book, it's a group of books, 66 books compiled together that are so synchronized, it's crazy. And so in these books, when you see certain personalities and all, why would God allow these groups, this culture, to be a part of any one narrative or any one part of the story? They must bring something to it or they wouldn't be in it. And so this morning we're going to look at the Magi. We're going to be over in Matthew 2. I will read a couple of verses, and then we're going to skip down to verse 7 just for time's sake, and we'll read down to uh, verse 12. So if you have your Bible or your app, it'll also be up on the screen as well, Matthew 2. And then uh, we'll pray after I read this, and we'll jump into it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the, had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Lord, we ask for you to bless your word this morning. Breathe life on it. Uh, Lord, I ask uh, for your help. I ask for your gift of teaching. I ask that uh, you would help me in my own weakness and that you would bring alive the scripture to me, to all of us here. That at this special time of the year, uh, that there would be something that would grab our heart, that you would reveal to us how special and how wonderful of a time this truly is for each of us. And so, God, we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come and teach us. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who were these magi? These guys that have gotten such a story, the three kings, the wise men. They were probably from Persia, a good distance away. They were a priestly cast of folks that had kind of a blend of, let's say, maybe a little science, a little philosophy, a little religion. They may have even been Zoroastrians. And uh, if you've been around this church for a while, you know, right before I came in contact with Jesus, I was looking into Zoroastrianism at the time because it was the oldest. I understood when I was in university that it was the oldest religion. And so I thought, well, if it's the oldest, it's got to be like, you know, the bestest, right? Until I went to university. And uh, so I started looking into it. Of course, you know, at the time I didn't know that you can't be a Zoroastrian unless you're born into it. But I thought, I'm a 60s child. I'm going to revolutionize this thing and start my own group, you know. And so these guys, these Persians from so far off, may have been Zoroastrians. They, uh, it was a guy named Zor, uh, uh, Zoroaster, and you know, they, it was a monotheistic religion. And it had good and it had bad. And, and uh, so for some reason, probably because the Jewish exiles had told these guys about a Messiah coming, they knew something about the Old Testament scripture as well. And being they were astrologers, they were watching the skies, they noticed something uh, very unique going on. Now, these were not Jewish people either. These were Gentiles. And they were probably as far as 900 miles away from where all of this was going on. In the book of Ezra in the Old Testament, we read where it took Ezra four months to go this distance. So this group of guys... Uh, the, these magi could have taken quite some time. It took quite an investment to come and check this out. Four months. There probably were more than three of them. We get the three from the gifts that they gave. And, uh, but there, were probably, there was probably an entourage because there had to be supplies and they carried gifts and they had to travel long distances and set up tents. And so uh, it, was, it was quite a commitment. They're seeking out to see just who this was that was born. And they would not be deterred. Here's something else to remember in this story that uh, we forget in the Christmas, at Christmas time is that Jesus was about two years old by now. And uh, I always wondered if Jesus had the terrible twos. You think, he, I mean, <laughs> Mary was like, calm down, Jesus. You know, it's like. <laughs> but he was probably around two years old as you read through the story of Herod killing off the firstborn and, and all of this. And so... And then it was maybe, as I said, four months for the Magi to get there. And when they arrived, uh, that's what we're going to look at today. Why 
you know, why would they go to Herod? Because Herod was the king. He was the man. They figured if anybody knew where this extraordinary person that had been prophesied about to be born, if anybody would know where he is, it would be the king. So they go straight to Herod. They have no idea. They don't have a clue that Herod would be threatened by Jesus. Does anybody know what Herod's, Herod's name was? His name was King of the Jews. Now, what is Jesus called? What do we even sing in the songs? He is the what? King of the Jews. So we have the little K, King of the Jews, being threatened by the capital K, King of the Jews. But we have the little K, the grown-up king, being threatened by the little baby, King of the Jews. Well, man, nobody can make this stuff up. You guys ever read this? Unbelievable. I mean, nobody could just say, oh, let's just throw this together and it happened. And so the setup is almost like you could... It's like a novel you're reading and you want to know how it's going to turn out. And, and so the Magi go to Herod and they go, hey, we've seen this star. We understand there's something big going on. Where do we find him? Herod calls in his priest. He calls in the, the wise men of his group, the Jewish priests, and they say, what, does the prof- what do the prophets say? And they say, well, they read the scripture and they say, he will be born in Bethlehem. Well, that's exactly where he was born. Four, five, six hundred years earlier, it had been prophesied that he would. And so Herod tells him, Bethlehem, only six miles away from where they were standing. How about come back and tell me when you find him so I too can go worship? Now, I think the Magi knew probably something was up about that time. They probably had a little bit of an inkling like, I think this king, you know, something's not right. But isn't it funny that people can be threatened by Jesus? Still, people are threatened by Jesus. Kings, we're threatened by Jesus. We all got a king inside of us. We're the king most of the time, right? And our kingship can be threatened by Jesus. Because if he's Lord, it means we can't be. And so, I'd be too hard on Herod here at this moment because all of us have a little Herod in each of us. But when the Son of God comes, when the King of God comes, when the King comes, it changes everything. And so the Magi are wanting to find out exactly what's going on. They're looking for the king of the Jews. In your handout, you have a fill-in today if you want to follow along. Some of the things we can learn from the Magi. And your first fill-in is this. They ask the big question. They ask the big question. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? That is the question. Where is the one? Where's the one? Because there is only one. And they're asking this to the king of the Jews, to Herod. But we all have to ask the same question, the big question. Where is the one? The one and only. And some of you, we mentioned this last week, are kind of pushing back and you keep asking question upon question, but that is the question that you come back to every time. Was Jesus exactly who he said he was? Is he who he says he is? That is the big question, and where is he, and how do I find him? Where is he? How do I get to him? And then we start pushing back. Well, you know, he may not have been the only one. Isn't that preposterous to say there's only one way to God? I mean, there are so many good people that find good ways to God, and there's got to be multiple ways. And yet Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The fact that you can even argue that point is, a, is just 
evidence of God's grace in you that he has given you the ability to reason and to think. Listen to C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. You've probably seen the movies if you haven't read the books. Listen to this. When you argue against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you are sitting on. The fact that you can argue, the fact that you have this ability to reason is evidence of God's work in your life, that he is drawing you, that he is wooing you, or you wouldn't even care. My uh, conversations with particularly one atheist friend, uh, I, I, early on in our conversation, I said, why do you spend so much time on something you don't believe in? I mean, why? Why do you even define yourself, I am an atheist, by what you don't believe in? If there is no such thing, why give so much time to the no such thing? Why? Because God is allowing that to go on, that questioning, that reasoning. And what my friend doesn't see is he's sawing on that limb (laughs) at the same time, like Lewis said. Asking the right questions... And the question is, where is the one? Where is the one? The Magi were not Jewish. They were Gentile. And and this is fascinating and very encouraging for all of us Gentiles. There may be a few Jewish friends in here, but most of us are Gentiles. And uh, that is that early on in Christmas, we get the picture of what God is going to do in Christ. Because over in Galatians 3.28, we will read that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Early on in the story, God calls a group of foreign Gentiles to come and give testimony to the coming of Christ. Early on. And that is like an announcement that this changes everything. The coming of Christ is going to show the favor of God for every group. Not just the Jewish people anymore, but for every Gentile as well. So there's so much going on here. Now, they didn't just ask the question. You know how you talk with people and they don't really, they're not really pursuing an answer? That's one of the friends I have, one of, one of my atheist friends. Is they don't really, they're not really looking for an answer anymore. They just want to argue. But I argue with them because I like to argue. And, uh, and so we get into it. But the next step that the Magi did is, and this is your next fill-in, they pursued an answer. They didn't just stop with the question. Look, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. They could have stayed there. They could have gone, hey, we're with the king. It's good to be with the king. Let's just hang out. We've come all this distance. We've paid this price. We've been on the road for four months. Why don't we just hang out here? This is a lot nicer than that little podunk town of Bethlehem. Let's stay in Jerusalem. Let's stay here. But they didn't. They pursued an answer. And that is what Christmas really is all about. is the answer of God to all of our needs, to everything that we have struggled with, deep questions that we have. Again, C.S. Lewis, and uh, I'm going to quote him a few times, obviously, this morning, but this is from his book, Mere Christianity. Great book. I mean, oh, man, wonderful book. Mere Christianity, if, if you want to read it. Lewis says in in this, he says, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions 
and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Beautiful. Are you honestly looking for the answer? These Persian astrologers, these Gentiles, they kept seeking and looking. They would not be deterred by the king. They would not be deterred by distance. They would not be deterred by the weather. They would not be deterred by anything. They were going to get to the king. Do you want to get to the king? Do you want to make your way there during Christmas? Because God's favor has come in Christ. Now, what were the results? They asked the big question. They pursued the answer to find him. And your third fill-in, A there under results, is it brought them joy. This is the result. This is one of the things you'll know um, when you found Christ or when you reconcile and, and suddenly Jesus becomes a part of your life. Is Look, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. This was their whole journey. You don't realize that much of your journey in life has built up to the point of coming in contact with God's answer for you, His Son, Jesus. At that moment in time, when you do come in contact with Christmas, there is joy. Why do we sing? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King, because He's our King. Joy. We ought to be the happiest people on the planet. Yeah, we got problems. (laughs) We got problems. We got struggles. We deal with humanity just like everybody else deals with humanity except that Christmas has come to us. We have pursued it and we have found him. Christmas has come. It brought great joy. What's the words to Mary? What's the words to Zechariah when the announcement comes that she's pregnant? Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. She recoils in fear. Who wouldn't at this news, you know, that you're pregnant with, you know, with God's son? And, and Zechariah, he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby in their old age. And, and uh, it's like, what do you do? And an angel's talking to you. Recoil in fear. But Gabriel says every time, what does he say? He says, fear not. Fear not. Now is not the time for fear. Christmas is the time for joy. It's the time for a big smile. I know we're weary. We're tired. We're looking at our checkbooks. We're looking, you know, we're checking. Oh, man, I got seven more gifts to buy. There is no way this is going to work. And we got this stress, and some of us in here are, like, worried about getting with family because family's not going well, or we don't have any family around. We've got a lot of concern, but here is your joy. Dear church, here is your joy. Christmas has come. Jesus has come. He has come to earth, and God's favor has now been poured out on us. Fear not. Fear not. Wow. Man. It says that when they saw the star, it brought them great joy. I mean, what was this star? Was there a star? Does it make sense there was a star? Is this just weird or some kind of story? I, 
I can't, you know, I don't know. I do know this, that there was a comet recorded on May 27th, 7 B.C. This is right around the right time. Um, Was it Halley's Comet or was it some alignment between Jupiter, Saturn, and the constellation Pisces? Jupiter representing God. Saturn represented the Jews. The constellation Pisces represented Palestine. So as Jupiter and as Saturn... God and Jews moved toward Palestine, the Pisces, then these uh, astrologers saw God doing something in the heavens. That could have been it. Also, the Chinese and the Korean astronomers recorded in 5 BC of a huge comet that came across the sky. I don't know. I just find it fascinating that we have so many options, <laughs> that there is some tangible proof that something was going on. And uh, that does my heart good. I, it just makes me even more joyful that God gives us this. Then there's the Old Testament writings and the prophecies that these, this Gentile group had been told by probably the Jewish exiles that indeed for hundreds of years this had been prophesied and this has been talked about. Isn't it funny that a Gentile group of foreigners with a different religion could recognize it but the very people that it was sent to didn't? Man, it goes right past us sometimes. Others get it, and we miss it. Fascinating. But I guess you get what you're looking for, huh? If you see him, then you can take it into your heart. So you seek and you pursue, and when you find this joy comes to your life that you never had before, never before. I watch lives change over the last 43 years of Karen and I walking and following Jesus. I've watched so many of you guys and friends. I have... Watch the proof of God's great power and and beauty come into marriages and come into individuals. And I have seen their affections change, their goals change in life. And this gives me great joy and it gives the people great joy who have experienced Christ coming in their lives. I've experienced the love of God in my life in a new way the past 43 years that I never knew before. Forgiveness and hope and reconciliation. I mean, the sunsets look different. The water looks different. I always loved the water. But it looks different with Christmas. It just looks different. Jesus is talking to his best friends in John 15, 11, and he says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You see, the coming of Christmas is supposed to complete our joy. It should be such a wonderful thing that it overwhelms us at times. On Christmas Eve, this room's, this room's going to be filled three times. And I hope the smiles are brighter than the candles. <laughs> I, I, I just We should, again, even with the angst that you may be going through, let me tell you the good news is still better news than your bad news. The good news is better news than your bad news. Your bad news cannot be worse than the good news is good. And therefore, there is joy in Christmas. Joy. Some of us, it does take God revealing himself, maybe on the ocean or somewhere. Somehow, he grabs our attention and we realize there's life here. There's a man named Francis Collins, Dr. Francis Collins, who was head of the Human Genome Project uh, and now is director for the National Institutes of Health. Smart dude. Um, 
And he had his moment in time. I want you to watch his testimony here for just a couple of minutes. One uh, wonderful, beautiful afternoon, as I was now a medical resident, and one of those rare moments where I had a little time off, I went hiking in the Cascade Mountains in the northwest of the United States. I'd never been west of the Rockies. I was, you know, a kid from a small farm, hadn't done that much traveling. It was a sunny day, the sky was perfectly blue, and I had that experience that we occasionally are given of being cleared of all of the distractions that otherwise get in the way of thinking about what really matters. And I left the car and walked up a hiking trail. I had no idea where I was. It's a wonder I didn't get lost. Uh, walking up this trail uh, with uh, the blue sky and the sunshine and a little bit of Christmas in the air, uh, birds that I didn't recognize uh, around that looked really quite marvelous. And as I walked up that trail, I turned a corner and there had been sort of a steep cliff beside me so I couldn't see what would be on the other side. And as I turned that corner, there was a sheer cliff face in front of me, at the top of which uh, there must have been a small trickle of moisture that had been trickling all summer and probably there for hundreds of thousands of years. And because we were up in the uh, colder climate, as that trickle came down the cliff, it froze. And what I saw in front of me, I'd never seen anything like this before. Glinting in the sun was this frozen waterfall a frozen waterfall that actually came down in three cascades. I'm not trying to say that this was intentional, uh, divine spiritual uh, symbolism of the Trinity, but it was interesting to see this image, and it just took my breath away. Uh, it would take anybody's breath away, spiritual or not, to see this beauty of nature. But it caught me at a moment uh, where I realized that this really was an opportunity to set aside all of those distractions and to ask the question that we all have to ask at some point. Do I believe in God? Are you ready to say yes to that question? And I found that all of my resistance fell away, not in a way that I could tell you precisely in terms of, yes, I went through this logical argument and that theorem. No, it just was a sense of, I am so wanting uh, to give myself to this love that God represents and that has reached out to me and I feel it near to me and I want to be embraced in that love for all time and I want to put aside uh, my resistance and become the believer that I think God wants me to be. And that was the afternoon. I fell on my knees. I said, this is something I want. God Come and be my Savior, Christ, and change my life. I can't do it by myself, and I'm sure tomorrow I'm going to think I was nuts, but today this is real. This is the most real thing that's ever happened. <laughs> Whew, man. A bit of Christmas in the air. <laughs> and there is a bit of Christmas in the air right now in here. The second fill-in as far as the response is it compelled them to worship, to worship. I think what Dr. Collins expressed was a whole moment of worship. He found it on the side of that mountain where God met him. It compelled the Magi to worship in verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They didn't worship the star. The star got them there. 
and help get them there. It was part of like the three waterfalls that Francis is talking about. It got them there. It helped lead them there. But they didn't worship the star. They wanted to get to Jesus. They wanted to get to the baby. They wanted to get to Christmas. And uh, what's the proper response when you come upon God? Worship. What are we going to do when we come face to face with God eventually? In Christ, fear not. We think, I am going to freak out. I'm going to be so afraid when I stand before God. But in Jesus, God's favor has come. And so the way we will respond, as we see in the book of Revelation, is worship. And the Magi, being these Gentiles from so far off, did the same thing. They bowed down in worship because they recognized that they were in the presence of deity. When you realize it, when you finally come to grips with this is God, the only, the only reaction is worship. It's just, here's, here's a great worship line. Are you ready? You can memorize this one, okay? Wow. <laughs> can, you, can we practice that worship song? Can we just say, wow. That's worship. The Magi, when they finally got there, after all of it, it's, wow. Wow. That is going to be our response on that day, those of us who know Christ. Because then the full favor of God, and we won't have these battles in our heads and in our minds, it'll all be cleared out. And as Jesus prayed in John 15, our joy will be made complete. Wow. But it starts with Christmas. It starts with now. Even the Magi, people weren't raised in this, saw it, recognized it. And then your last fill-in is, It released them to be generous, joyful, worshipped. And look what they did in verse 11. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's, That's a normal response too when you come upon deity, when you come upon God, when you come upon Jesus, when someone has touched your life in such a way as you just open up the treasures of your life and you go, I just want to give you everything I have. And that's exactly what they did. And they had carried this for a long way. Gold, well, that was the tender of the day. Uh, gold is spoken of as more than any, anything in the Bible when it comes to value. It's mentioned again and again and again. And so it was their money, basically, that they gave. And they poured it out on Jesus. And then frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense is this incense. Next year, I want to remember this, to have some of this burning in here. Some frankincense and, and that was used. It was a beautiful aroma. came from a tree, uh, and it was very special. And then myrrh is this gum, this very special gum that they would anoint things with. And it also had a, a beautiful odor to it. And so, I mean, you have gold, the value. I mean, we could, people have done all kinds of things with the three gifts. But the, the big thing is that they gave. It opened their hearts to generosity. It disarmed them from selfishness. And they opened their hearts and they gave. That's part of the evidence of Christmas having come to our lives. I mean, how we give. How we give of ourselves. How we give to our children as far as the story of Christ in our lives. Those of you who follow Jesus, have you given the story away? 
Have you opened the lid of your life and the experience of Jesus in your life and what he's done for you? And have you opened the lid and said, children, come see, come see. Come look at what the coming of Christ has done for your dad, for your mom. Come look and see. Have you told your friends, opened up the treasure chest and said, I don't want to keep this to myself. I want to share it because he's the king and he's come to earth. He's come. The decisions in life, that's part of the treasure chest. I don't take a step. Lord, you, I want to know, how do I give my time? How do I give myself to you? What do I do, Lord? And we're at his disposal and our money, our goods, the things we have, all of that. When Christmas comes to us, we become a much more generous people. We become a worshiping people. We become a joyful people. I had a friend who was about to get this. You know, he was really close. And this wasn't in this church. This was years ago at another church I was serving at. But I get this phone call one day, and he's an old surfing buddy. And he he lives far away, and he says, Hey, Tim, I want to start tithing to your church. I was like, Really? Does something happen? No, no, but, you know, God's, you know, if there is a God, if there is a God, he's been really good to me. If there is a God. I, and I'm just thinking I should do something with this, you know. I, I should recognize how good he's, it was really a funny conversation. And I, I, I think I should do this, and, and my mom taught me about giving 10% of my income, and so I want to give 10% for about six months. We got a check every single two weeks. He worked for the government. And we got, a, we got a check every two weeks from him for like six months. And I don't, I'm not sure what ever happened. He was all over the world at the time doing some things. And, uh, and, uh, but I thought, wow, you know, he is kind of like the Magi. He's come from a far distance. He's about to make that point, but he sees that the giving of God is so wonderful and so elaborate and, and just exquisite that he wants to open his treasure chest as well, and he wants... Now, what you can't see in this story, and what the Magi didn't know in this story either, is that this money that they gave probably financed Mary and Joseph and Jesus' trip to Egypt to get away from Herod, because they didn't have anything. So you just don't ever know. When you become a generous person, you just never know how God is going to use your generosity in his will. Because they had to take off right after this. Herod was killing all the little boys in the land trying to get to Jesus. So they had to go and live in Egypt for a while. And where did they get the money to do that from? The Magi. The Magi. Does your faith, does Christmas affect the generosity of your heart? I think that's one way we can see if Christmas has really come. So here we are this morning. We didn't travel four months to get here. 900 miles, our camels aren't parked outside. We didn't get a star to get us here. It was probably the ocean that got us to Myrtle Beach. But we're here. We're here, and it's Christmas. And we're reminded that the Christ child has come. And with it has come the favor of God. For all of us, yeah. Fear not. Fear not. For a Savior has come, the King of the Jews. Jesus has come, and with him has come joy, forgiveness, and new life for each of us. We used to sing about 
you know, I've found Jesus, I've found Jesus, I've found Jesus. And I still say that occasionally, but I don't think that's what it is. I think he found us. All of that searching and that seeking is simply his gift to us, just like the Magi, drawing them to himself. Has Christmas come to you yet? You made your journey. Are you there? Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.